Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of House Guest, the podcast about all things related to the House of the Good Shepherd, a retirement community in Hackettstown, New Jersey. I'm Sue Lanza, the CEO, and I'm joined today by my co-host, the Reverend Sean Cardi, who is our chaplain. Please enjoy. Hey there, Sean. Hello, Sue. How are you? I'm doing well. Here we are. It's episode number five. Can you believe it? No. I don't know what happened. Are we getting our sea legs? Do you know I, that term? I do know that term, and I, sometimes I feel a little woozy, but uh-huh. today I'm feeling pretty good. Okay. So thank you for that. So today I'm understanding we have a very important theme because we're back to our history. We, we diverted a little bit onto some other topics, but we're back to history. So tell me about our theme. I'm very excited. Well, I thought today we could talk a little bit about some of the particular people who are here in our history, part of our story here at the House of the Good Shepherd. And there are several people in particular I want to share. Some of the things I've discovered as I've been digging through the archives, you know, as I, I know you're doing as well, we've been discovering things as we go through the archives, fun pictures and all kinds of stories. And I wanted to share a few of those today. Yeah, because I hear that we do have some interesting connections that maybe we hadn't thought of or known about. I'm sure I didn't know about these when you were mentioning them to me. So I'm sure all of our listeners will be equally as tantalized. That's right. (laughs) So tell me, what's the first one? I can't wait to hear about this. Well, do you ever remember reading uh, Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift? Oh my goodness. Yeah. For some reason, I thought that was a scary sci-fi book because the guy was really big, then he was really little. Well, it does definitely have some of those elements to it. It's been years since I've read it, but it was really meant to be a satire. And that was much of what Jonathan Swift wrote. I didn't realize that. I just thought it was some kind of a kid's tale that, you know, talked about big and little and and all the things in between. And it sort of reminds me of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Remember that movie? It it definitely has that sort of sci-fi aspect to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, So long story short, there is somebody in our history who was related to Jonathan Swift here at the House of the Good Shepherd. Get out. And just to, to give ourselves a little orientation historically, Jonathan Swift lived from 1667 until 1745, uh, born and lived all of his life in Ireland. Ooh. And from my perspective, kind of an interesting connection, he was a priest in the what was then the Church of England and was known as Dean Swift because he was the priest who served at a cathedral, a dean. Oh my goodness. So, um, he was Dean Swift. And as I mentioned, he was very much a satire, a writer of satire. Hmm. Uh, and, and even still, you'll hear occasionally really educated folks talk about something being very Swiftian, as though it's a oh. But our connection, I think, is quite interesting. We had a woman who lived here at the House of the Good Shepherd who was connected to him. And I thought I could just read a little bit. This is from an article from the Easton Express, published on November 9th, 1967. Okay. Just a couple years after we got ourselves established here in Hackettstown. Yep. She was 104 in the year 1967, which is amazing. It is, because that age is still a marvel today. But back then, wow, couldn't even touch it. I mean, at the moment, I don't mm, I don't know the exact count, but we we have several centenarians in, we our, do. in our house at the moment. But back then, 104. So here's the story. I'll just read a few paragraphs of it. At the age of 104, no one should have to put up with traffic conditions in today's highways. 
Can you imagine oh, what they'd think of traffic gosh. in 2021? In Easton, in Hackettstown? Oh, my goodness. In 1967. Dear. At least that way seems to be the way Miss Mary Louise Swift looks at it. Ooh. So, Mary Louise Swift. Oh, so she really has the name and everything. That's right. Miss Swift of Hackettstown, who turned 104 today, recently expressed a wish for an automobile ride. This oh. was the big outing. I thought she didn't like traffic. I guess. I don't know. Oh, dear. An aide at the House of the Good Shepherd, a retirement community in which she has lived for the last nine years. So in other words, she was part of that group. The group who came and transferred over. So she lived in both places. There's probably only a very unique group that did that. She put her, an aide from the House of the Good Shepherd, put her in a car and started out on an area highway. The centenarian observed her 100th birthday anniversary today, November 9th, 1967, with friends at the home. She received a telegram when she turned 100 from President Kennedy. And there's some other wonderful little details. She was born in Brooklyn, New York, and she likes to tell people she arrived just 10 days before President Abraham Lincoln gave his famous Gettysburg Address. Oh, my goodness. Isn't it interesting how we are connected to history? Oh, wow. So She is a direct descendant of 18th century writer Jonathan Swift, author of Gulliver's Travels, we talked about. She does not know how she is related, only that her grandfather was born in England oh. and now talks about that. So it's not entirely clear. <laughs> yeah, it's a little vague, but we'll, we'll go with we'll it. We'll take it. We'll, we'll run with, with it. it. Yeah. Um, she describes in this article, she says one of her childhood memories was uh, watching the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, my goodness. Uh, a noise made by the contractors annoyed me, she said. Well, she doesn't like traffic. You know that. So um, I just thought that was kind of fun. She uh, sadly died the next year. So she, she lived to be 105. And there was a write-up in the, the local paper as well, reiterating some of what uh, what was described in the, in the first article. I thought that was a nice connection. It is a co- great connection. And I love the fact that she clearly stated in two cases how she didn't like kind of hustle bustle and loud things. And boy, she came to the great setting. If she came from the oranges out to here, she probably loved the setting down by the river, quiet. Nobody knows you're here. Well, and she would have seen that transition from going from orange. Yeah. As here. we talked about in the last episode to coming to this place, which is so nice and quiet. Absolutely. So, so what else do you have? for? I know I have a feeling because I see, I know you, the listeners can't see all this, but boy, he's got a pile of stuff he's banging around and moving around so i don't know what's going to come up next so let's get show and tell today we'll have to do our best in describing it um the next person i want to talk about our connection in history to a in this case a literary figure is i want to see if you can guess Uh so here's here are the opening words to a very famous book uh, written by an american author chapter one call me ishmael oh stop okay (laughs) all right we're done we're done some years ago never mind how precisely having little or no money in my purse and nothing in particular to interest me on shore i thought i would sail about a little and see the watery part oh of my the world. goodness well if that isn't moby dick that's right i mean that book and now i'm looking at it my gosh the thing is so long and it's just a guy in the ocean it is it's i mean it's pages and pages and pages the edition i have is 640 pages so (laughs) okay but so so that's why i asked you if you had your sea legs because we're going to talk a little bit about a connection to herman melville Uh, and of course i see he was known for writing about the sea the connection here is that we had a resident and just oh i'm sorry just to remind ourselves melville lived from 1819 to 1891 and of course well known for having written moby dick later in his life he actually wrote 
wrote a lot of poetry, which I think is kind of interesting, wow. too. Wow. To go from that book, which is such a classic, to poetry, that's, yeah. that's a leap. The relative, the person that we know who was connected to him is a woman named Frances Osborne. Frances T. Osborne. Mm. Um, Frances, of course, spelled F-R-A-N-C-E-S, the feminine version of that name. And she lived here at the House of the Good Shepherd. And what we have here in our archives is a picture from 1969, which would have been 150 years since Melville was born. So oh. 1819 to 1969. And around that year, there were lots of events to celebrate that sesquicentennial. I think that's the right term yes. for 150 years. And in particular, she was honored because she was a direct descendant. She was the granddaughter of Herman oh, Melville. Oh my goodness. And lived here at the house. Wow. So, what we have here is a picture. I'll try and describe it. It's a group of rather uh, impressive looking people all dressed up. And Francis is sitting with a lovely corsage on her dress and uh, wearing pearls and looking just resplendent. Um, and she is being honored because, of course, she was the descendant of Herman Melville. And it was all, this whole ceremony was because of this. This was a dedication just to mark that occasion. Right. Part of the 150 years, and they wanted a you know a living connection to Herman Melville. So this is a, an article from the Hackettstown Gazette, our local paper back then, okay. um, from 1971, March of 1971. And it was a description about somebody who'd come with all kinds of whaling memorabilia to talk about it. And the connection oh. was because of, uh, because of uh, Melville. And the, it says in this article, the focal point for a program there on Helma, Herman Melville and whaling was Mrs. Frances T. Osborne, Melville's granddaughter and a resident at the House of the Good Shepherd for the past several years. Included in this was William T. Mrs. William T. K. Hill, the wife of New Jersey's governor. So we had some interesting wow. folks coming through town. Yeah. Talking about that. And I think what we need to remember in this case, you know, to, mo- to some of us will think, oh, yeah, Moby Dick. I was supposed to read that in high school. I never got around to it. Literally character or literary figures, writers, were the celebrities of those days. Yes, that's so true. You think of Ernest Hemingway and so many classic writers back then. So folks would have been quite thrilled to live here in this place and say, oh, the woman who lives down the hallway from me is related to somebody sure. very famous. Yeah. Oh, it's, I love that. So it's kind of interesting. And the picture of her that you have that we'll put up at some point in some of our gathering of our memorabilia is just a, such a beautiful picture of her. Like, she just looks so happy in the picture. Yeah. And I will say, I've known a couple of staff members here who have very long tenures who remember seeing her. So it really oh, was really? It really was an impressive thing to have, you know, some connection to somebody famous. That's really amazing. Now. I love when it connects to the present somehow. That's great. So I know you, again, the, I see the shuffling of the papers. So I know you're about ready to launch into something else. Well, What's the next thing on your agenda? Well, this one is kind of interesting. It's nobody famous, but I think it's worth us remembering somebody. In this case, it's it's a man named Theodore Kamish or Kamish. I'm not okay. sure how it's pronounced. The last name is spelled K-A-M-I-S-C-H. And what I discovered, you get to discover all kinds of interesting things when you dig through historical records, sure. is that the very large tree that is planted kind of in the middle of our building, some of the folks will know that our building's kind of in a diamond shape. Yes. 
within that space, there's a very large tree that's planted there. I think it's a maple, in fact. And I found out why it's planted there, because it's not something that just randomly happened. It was actually planted in memory of Theodore Kamish. Oh. Um, he was somebody who came to the House of the Good Shepherd in 1968, again, shortly after we started being here in Hackettstown. He died the next year, 1969, but clearly made an impression on the place. And that tree was planted in his memory. And it was planted on October 25th, 1969. We know how old that tree is, right? We do. It's, it's 50, what, two, three, something like that. It, it was clearly not tiny sapling if no. you look at the picture. But I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing. It's a tree I see outside my office and outside the chapel. And I can actually see it from my office. Our boardroom faces that direction. So it's a space that a lot of the residents don't use, but it's kind of a hidden away spot where you could go out and have some meditation. I know some of the residents do have done some gardening out in that spot because it gets some great light, but it, it's perfect. So they just honored him with this. He must have been the heck of a guy in a year that they said, hey, let's yeah. plant a tree in his honor. I well, think that's there, wonderful. As you know, there's a little garden out there which, in fact, has some burials there of mm -hmm. cremated remains of folks who've been here at the house. That might be an, another episode. I was thinking that might be because to learn more about the, the folks that are here with us. And they're in a good spot because they're not in a spot <laughs> where it's going to be disturbed that's at right. all. So that's, that's nice. Right. I will say, from my perspective, spending a lot of time in the chapel, as you would expect the chaplain to do, looking out there, I am very much aware that we are part of a place that has that history. Yeah, great history. It's literally here everywhere that you look. Right. Now I see you. Now there's movement again. There's <laughs> uh, there's books moving. I think it's going to be one thing, and now it's going to be something else. Keep so in your toes. So yeah, the book, I see the, that. The thing I want to share next, and it, you know, folks obviously can't see it, but this is a beautiful leather covered book, rather large, red, and then has gold print on the front you of it. Can't miss it. And it says the Book of Remembrance. And some of the folks who listened to our episode about the cornerstone might remember that there were things that were put into the cornerstone. What happened? At the same time, and I looked back and saw this in some of our records, is that this book was established. It wasn't put in the cornerstone, but it was established. Right at that same time? Exactly. And so it's it's from the time when we established ourselves here in Hackettstown. What this is, is a book that has the names of everybody who has lived here at the House of the Good Shepherd since we settled here in Hackettstown, and the date that they died. Because oh. as many of us know, this is a place where folks live the remaining time of their life. And sure. so I just think it's it's lovely to have this wonderful book. And, you know, it's part of the chaplain's duty to keep it up to date and remember those who have been part of our story here. And so it goes from 1966. Of course, we got started in 1965. And just for the record, the first person listed here is a woman named Lottie B. Allen, and she died on November 8th, 1966. So she got to live here for not quite a year or so, I guess. Um, and it, I just think it's a lovely connection to what, we, what we do here. I'm just curious because, first of all, thank you for sharing it with everybody. I certainly knew nothing of this book, didn't know of its existence at all. So I, every time we do one of these things, I'm learning a lot. But I'm just wondering if you could give some clarification. Is this something that is normally done even in a church setting, that there's a record like this? Not that people have died, but that who belongs to a congregation, or I don't right. know anything about this. Well, as I've often joked, if the Episcopal Church does anything well, it's keep records. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> is anyone reading them? Let's ask that question. We keep, we keep records. So, for example, every time we have a chapel service, I record that in a book. And I've got books going back years, decades here at You're the house. You're kidding. I didn't no. even know you did that. And yeah. where, where is this book? In, wh- it's in my office. I mean, it's it's got to be kept handy for keeping it updated. Okay. But, so every service we do, whether it's you know a morning prayer service or a celebration of the Eucharist or a funeral, and then actually in some cases we've had some baptisms here. Well, I actually know one of our staff members exactly. who had yeah. her children baptized here. So all of that gets recorded, and we record how many people were at the service, we record how many of those services have happened this year, and what number it is, and some of those very kind of arcane details. This, mm. however, is a little different in that it's more like what you would find in an Episcopal church called the parish register, which would include weddings and baptisms and mm-hmm. funerals and things like that. In this case, it's not exactly the same, but very much in that same spirit. And so sure. uh, just to add to that, we also, there's a stand which was given to the house in 1967. And I'm looking at a copy of the service of the dedication of that stand, September 28th, 1967. Those of you who have walked down the hall by the chapel, you'll see a wooden stand and it's got a glass cover on it. Sure. Yeah. And I guess that's where this book traditionally has been kept. Um, But I think sometimes it's kept in the chapel's office, probably for more safekeeping. Sure. You don't want anything, somebody spill a cup of coffee or something terrible happen to it. You know, kind of keep it together with all the other church records that sure. we've got. But it was given in, the stand was given, not the book, but the stand was given in 1967 by a woman named Mrs. James Hill. And doesn't seem to be in memory of anybody in particular, but very much for the folks who have been remembered here at the house and uh, from the chapel at, at the house. And do you know why, I'm just thinking when you said when the cornerstone ceremony happened, this book started to come into existence to start recording. Is that a Again, something traditional that you would know of. I'm just curious, like who would say this is a good idea? Let's do this. I don't. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if it's just because it was a fresh start. And Probably. They thought, you know, yeah. This record is a good time it. to start it. Or it may be that there are some other books and just we haven't discovered them. Yeah. And I actually think that may be true. Partly because I did discover it, and I've got another book here in front of me. I see that. Um, which has a, a rather tattered cover. Oh, that has been through the mill. Cloth cover with leather corners and this beautiful little design around it. I, I wish people could see it, but we'll try and get pictures at some it's point. It's like an old ledger book. It looks like, you know, the shipping records of the Titanic or something. It, it's exactly that. Um, it, it really looks like that when exactly they show that. it in the movie. Yeah. Right. And it dates to 1904. What I was sort of found curious, though, when I first saw this was the writing on the front of it is inmates and convalescents. Oh my goodness, there's that inmate thing again. Yeah. I know it was in its day it was an okay term, but boy oh boy, is that give me the willies. It just grates against our ears. Ooh. You and I were talking before we started recording, but the distinction between an inmate and a convalescent, I'm guessing, I don't know this for sure, I think you agreed with me, was a convalescent would be somebody who came maybe for some rehabilitation yeah, and, and got well enough to go back home wherever that might have mm-hmm. been. Short-term stay. Whereas an inmate was somebody who was a resident. So what we should do as we come across this word, we should simply, I think, substitute resident. Right. Um, these are residents and convalescents. Well, even the will. term long-term care is 
somewhat outdated, even though that's the term that's still used. That would be the substitute for inmate, which sounds like, you know, you are a prisoner of some sort, right. which we don't we don't want anyone to feel that way. But, you know, because we're here to take care of you. Exactly. So, yeah, that's interesting. So what was that, a book that just recorded all kinds of comings and goings? It did. And it had, so if you look in the, just inside the front cover, it says when people are admitted, whether as an inmate or a convalescent. Oh my goodness. It also has deaths. It also includes marriages and some baptisms and some other kinds of things. Oh, wow. So this, this would have been, you know, because the House of the Good Shepherd is not a parish church, right. and the chapel is not a parish church, it's a chapel, that's the distinction, it would not have necessarily been required to have these books. I will tell you, in the in the parish, when the bishop comes to visit, one of the things that she, in our current bishop's case, would do is say, I want to see your books. And that's part, oh. of, the, part of the motivation for parish clergy to keep them up to date, is oh. we're keeping the records. She's checking up on you. Exactly. But So, this book would have been, I think, mostly kind of in that spirit, but not necessarily an official book. As like I said, Episcopalians are good record keepers. I w- and the other thing that was kind of interesting was, and it was either this book or a different one, looking at some of those early years, almost everybody who was resident, I'll use that word, here was an Episcopalian um, mm. back in those days. And of course, that wasn't completely the case at the beginning, but that is that is not the picture now. We're no. a wonderful mix of you know lots of different traditions and diversity and people coming from lots of different backgrounds you know, religiously speaking and yeah. other other ways too. No, that's great. And that book that you were just referring to was that in with the chapel records or did you find that in with the some of our other records? The other no, it's in the main archives. Ah. Um, so I will put that back. And, no, that's it's yeah. just fascinating. I didn't know that existed. Yeah. So the last thing I brought to share and you've already seen this and, and actually others here at the house have seen it at chapel services through the week. Is is our offering plate. It's and, a beautiful plate. Yeah, it, how would you describe it? It's engraved, shiny plate, probably like 18 inches, probably like 10 inches in diameter or something. Yeah. And it's as shiny as could be, and it's got all kinds of engravings on the front, not on the back, but tell us what it says, because it is really beautiful. It is, and I polished it recently, so that's partly why oh, it's a little shiny. I see. Um, yeah, you were trying to impress. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The engraving around the edge of it is, in rather large large letters. It says, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. A lovely quote from, I'm guessing, one of the Psalms. Um, I don't remember exactly where. And then engraved in the bottom of it is in beautiful script. We don't, I wish we could write this I way. <laughs> when can't. I write like in script, my daughter will say to me, mom, could you please write it so I could read it? <laughs> she, yeah, because by the time she went into school, penmanship was out the window. It was so passe. Uh, right? But this is engraved in this beautiful script, and it says, To the glory of God and in grateful memory of Sarah Reddington Austin. Ooh, what a name. Was, yeah, who was matron, capital M, I know you love that word, Sue, who was matron of this house for nearly seven years. Oh. And it says, given by, and I love this list. It starts out, it says, given by the house family, capital Ooh. H, capital F. There we are again. Exactly. The House family, the Board of Management, the Ladies Auxiliary, the Brotherhood of St. Andrew of Grace Church, which is one of the founding churches. Yes, the the five churches. And in this case, it's a men's group, the Brotherhood of St. Andrew. So the Ladies Auxiliary is one and the Brotherhood is the other. And then the other piece at the very end, it says, and several friends. And I just think that, to me at least, captures some of the spirit of, I think, this place, both historically and I would say now. Sure. It's it's always been very family-oriented, down-to-earth, you know, no heirs. Everybody's just 
wanting to be together and they that feeling comes across even in that beautiful dish yeah the other the last bit and this is part of why i've been talking about it this week is that this was given by that whole group of people that i just described in memory of sarah reddington austin and it was given on all saints day which is november 1st in the church's calendar in 1922 so, 99 years ago. Oh, my goodness. From the week that you and I are having this conversation and recording this. So, next year, when this is when it's 100 years old, we need to make sure we remember that and celebrate it. Right. Um, well, we can. We actually can double celebrate it because we can celebrate it when we do the 140th anniversary, but we can also do it when it comes up later in the year for its actual 100th birthday because it's very, very memorable. And I'll say we use this still. Yeah, and so how do you use it, just so people understand? So it's the offering plate. So folks who want to make an offering to support the chapel ministry can put their offerings in it, and then that gets brought up. In our tradition in the Episcopal Church, the offering plate is put on the altar as part of the service of worship. It's a sign of giving of ourselves to support the ministry of the chapel or the church, as the case may be. That's Uh, great. One of the thoughts I had about this, given that so much of our history has been with residents who don't necessarily come from great wealth, to imagine your small offering, however small it may be, going into this beautiful sterling silver plate, presumably Ooh. polished better than I've been able to do it, well, it looks pretty and good then to being me. brought forward and put on the altar as part of worship. I would think that would make folks feel pretty good. Well, it, it does because you're feeling part of the legacy of this place by just participating and putting whatever it is that you can make. Your offering is just part of a bigger picture. You have to feel it. You know, it's not just, oh, well, just move along. It's definitely part of something that's larger than you. Well, I think, too, about how many hands have held this. Yes. um, Because traditionally, not so much now, COVID COVID precautions, we don't pass things around as much. But how many hands have held this as it got passed around? Yeah. Also, and I did mention this to our our, uh, CFO, how much money has gone through this plate? (laughs) She probably is like, oh, I wish that money came by me, right? No, no. So it's it's fun to remember and celebrate the history of it that we have here. So what else do you have? Because I see you have other little doodads floating around. No, I think that's it. He's, he's, un, he's done with his doodads. All right. All right. Well, what are we going to be doing in some of our next few episodes? Do we have anything lined up? Because there is a lot more history. One of the things is we were going to talk maybe a little bit about some of the properties around us and talk more about the daily life here when they got here. In- well, so two things I'll mention. One is that we uh, had hoped to share some of our connection with Stevens State Park. And I believe from something I had read that we did have a connection there. I just couldn't put my fingers on it for this episode. The other thing that I discovered, though, is that we have books and books, notebooks, full of newspaper clippings. You remember the days when newspapers would have kind of a gossip? Yes. And they would say, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so visited from Indianapolis to see so-and-so who lived on Maple Street, that kind of Right. It was sort of like the daily gossip mill or something, but it wasn't gossipy. It was more like matter-of-fact information. We have books and books of the local newspaper describing what was going on here at the House of the Good Shepherd. And I think that'll be an interesting project to dig into. Sure. And we're trying to get some 
some of this stuff more organized because as Sean's mentioning, you know, we find something, we know we saw it, and then we have to go back. So we're trying to get some assistance with things. And we did find out in one of our conversations recently that we were in contact with the Hackettstown Historical Society, and they said, hey, we have a whole file on you over here. So we're all excited about making a road trip over there at some point so we can check that out and see what they have that might be different than what we have over here. That's right. So this is kind of taking us on an interesting journey that I'm enjoying. It's a little all over the place, but it's fun to go through. And I think that's part of the way history works, isn't it? You you make a little discovery and it leads you down some path and you find, oh, we have this interesting connection to somebody who was Herman Melville's granddaughter. Yeah, it's really quite amazing. And I'm sure more and more will come out as we go along. Well, thank you all for listening. I'm Sue. And I'm Sean. And we will see you next time for the next episode of house guest. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode of house guest, the podcast, which is dedicated to all great things about the house of the good shepherd, a retirement community in Hackettstown, New Jersey. To learn more about us, please visit our website, hotgs.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time.